Hello, podcast is you sick freaks. Great show for you today. Uh, what would you uh, What would you say was the uh, uh, highlight of uh, today's radio broadcast, Stu? So many good things. Ken Cuccinelli was on today. Yeah, uh, he was great. Um, we He's ha- from D- DHS, yeah. uh, acting uh, sec- deputy sec- secretary, talking about going into Wisconsin now with the invitation from the governor. We'll see how that works out. We also uh, talked to the really brave reporter from the Daily Caller yeah. who who stood and a lot of the video that we have now on, what is it called? The um, the Rick Ritten, Rittenhouse effect? Oh, yeah. yeah. Kyle yeah. Rittenhouse is the guy, the 17-year-old shooter that everyone's calling a white supremacist and with no murderer. evidence whatsoever. Yeah, it's crazy. But he talked about this in, in a way that you haven't heard before, and you really need to pay attention to that. This this is like a little mini Reichstag fire. If it wasn't for these people, uh, these reporters going out and actually getting the story, you wouldn't know the truth. Also, we had Burgess Owens on with us today. We talked about schools as a... Um, as a uh, add-on from last night's TV special. And speaking of TV, Stu and I did. And uh, <laughs> you don't want to miss it. We solve all the cultural problems in America on today's episode. With Vin Diesel. <laughs> all on today's podcast. Enjoy. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Last night, things got out of control again in Wisconsin. I mean, I can't believe we're here even without the uh, conventions. I told you for, what, two years, Wisconsin, I would sell my house right now in Wisconsin. Democratic convention is going to be held there. This is going to be a summer of blood. And uh, and uh, I wouldn't want to own property there because it's going to be riots. Without the convention, it's happening. And I think worse uh, than than I would have expected uh, this this quickly, at least. And the uh, federal government has finally been allowed in. The governor yesterday said to Donald Trump, OK, OK, help. So he sent them in. Now, we have Ken Cuccinelli uh, on the phone. He's the um, the. Uh, I want to get this right here. Hang on. I don't have even have my glasses on. He is the acting deputy secretary of the uh, Department of Homeland Security. Ken, welcome to the program. Always good to be with you, Glenn. So, uh, Ken, you you guys are in a really tough position. Um, Tell me what you're planning on doing and when does help arrive in Wisconsin? So that's fair to say, but I, I would note that unlike, say, the Portland story that we've all been following for three months, and of course I've been in the middle of it, here we have a governor who at least is willing to use his National Guard for one of the things they are they exist for, right? and that is keeping the peace. Um, he didn't bring enough numbers initially, but he kept moving the numbers up to get to a point uh, where they're adequate, and he and the president spoke of course, and uh, President has spoken vehemently about his desire for peace in all these communities and the willingness to move people in. And this is the peace through strength plan in, in the civilian environment, Glenn. It's, you know, you bring enough law enforcement responsibly executed, um, and there is no violence. We saw that happen in Minneapolis after the tragic killing of George Floyd, as the first reaction in Minneapolis was give them room to riot, the old Baltimore 
concept. Well, that didn't work. And uh, so then they brought in the guard, and lo and behold, things were calmed down because those who contemplated violence knew there were consequences. And we're seeing that shift take place in Wisconsin. Do we wish it happened faster? Yes. But uh, you'll see uh, the Department of Justice is moving over 200 uh, marshals, FBI agents, ATF agents into Kenosha. Um, they've uh, also got extra prosecution help up there, all in addition to the, uh, to the guard commitments from the president and the willingness of Governor Evers to use them. So here's the problem that we have. The left uh, has run unchecked. And the American people, I mean, five million new gun owners in the United States just in the first quarter of, of this year or second quarter of this year. Um, and that's all because people feel like there's there's nobody to protect me. This is why the Second Amendment says a well-regulated militia and a militia is happening as your last resort. There's there's nobody coming to help you. And that's, I think, where people are starting to feel. And that becomes very dangerous. So how do you guys um, at the federal level, because I'm a I'm a federalist, I believe in the state power. Yeah, you too. So how do you balance this so it doesn't spiral out of control? Because the left wants a fight. They want it. They do in many respects. I mean, you can see lots of these politicians on the left who encourage the violent protesters but without condemning the violence. Correct. And, um, and, and, and even using the phrase violent protesters is not accurate. Those are rioters and criminals and yeah. in some cases terrorists. So, um, you know, we, we, we do, need to, do need to fix that even myself. But, but uh, that kind of encouragement reaches a situation like we saw in Portland last weekend where you then get, and Kenosha, frankly, you get people who don't believe that law enforcement is going to be provided or allowed to do its job adequately, and they start showing up to do it. And very uh, sort of frontier mentality, if you will, in some cases. Uh, but also, it's other groups who, who are looking to fight. And if you don't calm that violence soon and relatively quickly, you invite that kind of you do. violence, which really spirals out of control. That that's a, that's war in the streets um, between different Americans, and they may all be uh, misbehaving, to put it mildly, but but they're they've been given free reign to do so by the left wing leadership in those communities. And you then you ask the Federalist question, which is one I'm very sensitive to. I'm sure that's no surprise to you um, that we have limited federal jurisdiction. The federal government isn't just another police. Um, we can't be office. Yeah, and we can't be. No, we don't want that. That is a you know. It's really you bad. Get what you vote for. Yes. And in Portland, they're getting destruction, and they're not gonna. I mean, who would you open a business in Portland in the next fifty years? No. I would. No, no, and, it's going to destroy these cities. It is going to destroy these cities. So, That's right. And 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 the people least able to adjust to that are the poorest people in those cities so ken help me out on this you're you used to be the uh attorney general for the state of virginia um this kid that shot the guy in the head the other day and then shot the other guy in the arm he is being painted as you know just this militia white supremacist kind of guy 
I would not want my kid down there. I would tell them not to go. I would say, even if you want to be an angel of mercy, then you have to be like Mother Teresa. Don't bring a gun. Um, it's a dangerous, dangerous situation. However, we have him on tape a half hour before uh, talking about his view. He seems like he's just there. He's like, look, I'm only bringing my gun because I'm not stupid. I know it's dangerous and I'm going to defend myself, uh, but I'm here to do medical aid. Then you have the guy who was killed. We have him on three different occasions taunting and chasing and tackling this kid. The third time is when he turns because he's right on top of him and shoots. And he continues to uh, chase him, and then he shoots him in the head. Then the other guy that he shoots while he's laying down, we have video of that guy approaching him with a gun, pointing it to him like execution style, and that's when he shoots that guy's arm off. They're charging him with first-degree murder. How? How? Well, that's a pretty knee-jerk reaction, Um, and... You know, they're charging him because he shot people, but you're going to see undoubtedly the self-defense argument made. I I tweeted on this yesterday, noting with a lot of the interviews that this kid happened to give beforehand, um, he was not speaking against any of the people protesting or any of the views. So, you know, you've got to, and my point that I was tweeting about is this is, this is complex investigation. And to your point, that the instant labeling is likely inaccurate, though I don't have enough information to draw a conclusion. So neither I do I. I don't want to do that either. But yeah. my, my point is, neither does anybody else. Correct. And, and um, But there's a desire to paint a narrative out there that uh, there's a lot of evidence just with this particular kid that doesn't seem to fit. So um, I would note that to our earlier discussion, when you let violence run amok like this, you get people who just feel like they're, you know, f- doing their duty, backing up police. Correct. Obviously, without the training, without the coordination uh, of mutual support of other security forces, um, going out there and and uh, trying to do what this kid was doing, and right. you end up with this kind of scattered violence and uh and i don't think anybody wants that no anywhere in any of their cities and yet i mean kenosha it's not like i know you know detroit i know right? but i, I, mean, I this, tell you can be any city in america they they we had several reports last night of neighborhoods um people walking down the street three o'clock in the morning wake up wake up you know give us your hey, houses got, that what that's got emails the, from richmond you know, there's nothing has happened in Richmond, per se. I got an email yet this morning about incidents like this from last night. And when that multiple gunshots as well, when that happens, you will have, you know, citizens watch uh, parties and yeah. they'll have guns. And yeah, because if they feel they the police are not going to help them, they will band together. And that's a bad situation. But I completely understand it. If I think police are not coming to my neighborhood you damn right i've got a gun and i'll shoot you on my property well and and honestly uh self-defense is the most the single most important thing the second amendment is for right right so um there were no police in 1791 when uh when that was ratified and um you know there weren't for many many years in the united states so people are used to the cultural requirement 
of protecting. at least being protect being the, their first line of defense. You Correct. know, we are our own first line of defense. Correct. And when you are in cities where you've got politicians who refuse, as we see in Portland, to uh, to do police work, um, then you can fully expect to see more of this kind of response. People are going to take things on themselves, and they don't have, you know, crowd control munitions. When they're threatened, they only have one next step to go to, and that's shooting for self-defense. And Are, if can, we want to avoid this, we need we need better leadership in many of these cities. Can I know you are uh, you're a little busy uh, today, so I I I, I know I your time thinking. pressure. Let me just ask you one more question. I started yeah. the show saying normally the biggest storm to hit Louisiana in 160 years, the most powerful storm to hit that uh, area in 160 years, would be the lead story in all anybody's talking about. But we have so many other things. I don't want to lose sight of that. What are you guys doing down there? So Laura made landfall at 2 a.m. this morning, Eastern time. It was, it came with a big storm surge, very big. And, you know, we, we measure these hurricanes on wind, but the water does so much damage. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's, that's where our fear uh, resides more than anything. Uh, We pre-positioned, uh, 500,000 meals, 800,000 liters of water, um, and numerous teams to be prepared to respond uh, as soon as uh, the danger struck. And all our teams are in action right now. Uh, Laura has not moved out of Louisiana. It's moving northeast, um, probably crossing the state for the duration of the day, headed into Arkansas. And uh, you know, the secretaries talked to uh, both governors um, uh, yesterday, and you know, there's much teamwork and preparation as we can do is in place. Um, and we in the federal government are supportive. That's our role is to support the state and local responses. And while Louisiana is experienced at this, it's not the kind of experience any state wants. Yeah. So we're, we're prepared to, uh, do an awful lot of work to, to help keep folks safe there and to help those communities recover. Because- um, and that's something the pre- president already declared, emergencies he's got he's he's got us leaning forward as far as we can um 81 miles north of lake charles the real scary thing in new orleans really is uh, new orleans because it's just a bowl uh and if it fills up how is new orleans doing have you heard um well as of yesterday i actually talked to folks in new orleans and and um when you compare weather across the whole front they were doing pretty well Good. good as as you know uh you know we talked about water um, the flooding can, can hit New Orleans later. It doesn't have to be immediate. So that's something that the Army Corps and uh, the rest of us will keep our eye on as well. Okay, Ken, thank you very much. Ken Cuccinelli from the Department of Homeland Security. Thank you. This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Yesterday, we told you what was going on in Kenosha and the shooting that happened. Um, And uh, this morning, we had the uh, deputy secretary or assistant secretary of DHS on with us, Ken Cuccinelli. He was talking about the National Guard uh, not only going down to Louisiana and everything that's been happening with the federal government down in Louisiana, but also the uh, Wisconsin governor, finally said to uh, Donald Trump, okay, okay, we'll take your help. So they're on their way up to Kenosha. 
one of the the really the only reason we know what's going on and that there is a a chance that what's now being called the Rittenhouse incident um, is is known and doesn't become the Reichstag fire is because we have people on the ground, really brave reporters who are willing to go in uh, and and videotape. And so we have this incident from like four different angles now, none of them from the networks. The networks are saying this was straight up murder. Well, uh, I don't know. I think you could make a case that uh, not even close, but we'll see how this plays out. Richie McGinnis, he is with the Daily Caller, and he is the chief video director, and he has been there. In fact, he's the guy who first rushed to the guy that was shot in the head and helped him into the ambulance, uh, helped carry his body to help. Uh, and Richie is with us now. Richie, how are you? I'm good, Glenn. Thanks for having me on. First of all, I mean this sincerely. It's not just a quick, how are you? Uh, you guys have got to be, you're running on very little sleep, and there's got to be some PTSD uh, going on. Are you, are you sleeping? Are you doing all right? Well, last night, I, I slept quite well, actually. And I, okay. I think it actually took me a bit of time to sink in. Yeah. But, uh, it, yeah, I mean, as far as that, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that our first responders and law enforcement deal with. I know. Um, do you do you have a bulletproof vest? Not yet, but. Okay. I think I, I get it. Uh, you have one coming? Because I. Around in front of me the other night. Yeah, I think I should get one. Yeah, okay. So I would, I would like to supply you with one. Uh, and I will I'll get you a vest and we'll see what we can do to. Um, protect you. I know you. You know you don't work with me, and we don't really, you know, know each other. But uh, I really respect what you're doing, and I really thank you uh, for uh, being there to document it because we're in real trouble if somebody doesn't do what you're doing. Um, tell me, tell me exactly what happened um, that night. What did you see? So actually, right before the shooting took place, I witnessed the riot control clear out protesters from an area that had been burned out two consecutive nights. And actually, the night prior to the shooting, I saw the business that Kyle was standing in front of burning with the business owners and some employees of that business using a power washer to try to put out the fire because, because the fire trucks weren't coming. And so the next night, I saw Kyle, along with a number of other armed men, some of them were also on the roof of the business, uh, standing with uh, what looked to be AR-15, uh, in, in, at least over Kyle's shoulder. And I immediately asked if any of them would be interested in doing an interview as to why they were there. And Kyle volunteered. He actually didn't volunteer his name, but he said that he was willing to appear on camera and give an interview. So I interviewed him for about two and a half minutes. And actually, after the interview concluded, they said, we're going to go try to find uh, if anybody needs medical aid after this, the, after the riot control just came through and tear gas people. So they actually went out into the crowd to left the dealership to uh, Kyle was trying to shout out, does anybody need medical aid? Does anybody need medical aid? And that was just uh, a few minutes before everything took place. So that was where everything started. And obviously things descended into chaos very quickly after that. Is there any indication from you, Richie, that he, uh, was you know a white supremacist that he had the intention of going out and shooting people or 
I mean, they're they're charging him with first degree murder. Um, any any indication that that's who this guy was? So obviously, I'm not going to speculate on the, the legal side of things. You know, whether it was murder, whether it was self defense. Yeah. That's that's a force to decide. But what I what I can say is that during the brief time that I met him, he came across as a very young and innocent kid who mm-hmm. uh, did not know the gravity of the situation that he was in. And, you know, again, I only spoke to him for about two minutes, and that was the first time I had ever seen him before. But that was my first perception. He told me that he was there both to protect the business and to make sure that uh, anybody who needed medical aid would get it. Um, and he also did note the absence of police and the necessity for, for somebody to provide a degree of law and order. So that was, you know, it was, again, it was only about a two-and-a-half-minute interaction. So, so I... I yeah. Right. Okay. So w- w- you were there when he was, he didn't trip and fall. He was kicked to the ground. Uh, and a guy came at him with a skateboard, was going to beat him with that. Another guy came at him with a gun. Um, I mean, he, he, it, this looks like total self defense to me. Did you see, did you witness that part of the shooting too? Or were you with. Uh, no. So actually, I was in the hospital by then. Okay. The, well, actually, I was heading to the hospital by then. The shooting that I witnessed was the first shooting, which right. is the one playing right now. And that was uh, when things really started. I believe that the second shooting, that took place right. very, very soon after. But after the shots were fired, people were just looking for individuals with guns to, you know, um, to so, detain or whatever. So but, even, um, even, the, New York, even the New York Times said in their TikTok that they released today, that um, the the guy who was shot was uh, pursuing. We have him on tape as being a real antagonist to these guys, um, calling them all kinds of names that we can't say on the air, the N word, et cetera, et cetera. He was picking a fight. He had tried to jump uh, Rittenhouse several uh, times, at least two that we know of. And when you look at what the New York Times is reporting, they're saying that. Uh, and you can see it on the videotape, your videotape. Um, there, uh, there is a shot. He's running. He sees the guy behind him. He hears a shot. He thinks he's being fired at. He turns around, tries to shoot at the guy. The guy continues to chase him. I think it's six shots ring out from elsewhere um, that you can you can hear, right? Yeah, actually, um, that was my... Two of my colleagues uh, who, who filmed the video, I was actually six or seven feet behind them. And once I realized that this situation was turning into a situation where somebody was going to get shot, I actually focused more on what was in front of me than yeah, anything uh, else. my phone in my hand. And actually, I was about seven feet behind them when uh, the individual who was shot uh, reached for Kyle's weapon. I, I saw that happen. And he basically avoided the, the reach and then fired. What I saw were three shots from Kyle's gun, but okay. I also heard some other shots okay. coming from elsewhere. So you, but it all happened. You were behind. Did you fear for your life? Is it reasonable to believe that that Kyle was freaking out, thinking they were shooting at him? Yeah. So actually, I was running behind them because me being the middle of three brothers, my first instinct was to yell at them to to chill out because I knew and I've been in 
Seattle, I've been in Portland, I've been in New York, I've been in DC. These, these protest zones, things spiral out of control very quickly. So knowing that Kyle was a young man that I just interviewed with a very powerful weapon in his hands, I was trying to emphasize the fact that everybody just needed to stop because this was going to get bad quickly. And, and basically the moment that I was doing that, I was running behind them, Kyle turned around. And I'm not sure if he turned around because a shot rang out or if he turned around because the man was pursuing him and he felt cornered. But uh, what I do know is that the moment that he turned around, I entered the line of fire because I was behind that man, just about seven feet. And you can see in the video, I'm actually standing right there. I take about two steps back. I'm not sure if it was Kyle's weapon or if it was the other shots that were fired, but I felt some concrete hit my legs. Mm. And I assumed that that was some kind of ricochet or something. But once I realized that I actually hadn't been hit, I uh, ran over to provide medical aid to the man who was lying lifeless on the ground. And I actually didn't realize at the time I saw Kyle run and I assumed that he was gone. But he actually goes around the car and comes up behind me as I'm kneeled over him. And I actually turned and just saw legs next to me. And I said, what are you doing? Call 911. And the individual who I now realized hours, hours later that it was Kyle pulled out his phone. And I don't know who he called or what he did, but he ran away uh, very soon after that uh, as the crowd descended on the, the body that uh, mm. I was trying to provide assistance to. Uh, Richie, again, um, thank you for what you do. Um, I, I have to ask this question. Why are you doing this? Glenn, when all of this stuff started after George Floyd was killed or died, um, our team is based in Washington, D.C., and we were there at the White House on the ground when things really started to spiral out of control. And, and as these protest zones sprung up around the country, what we noticed is that nobody was on the ground in the 12 a.m. to 4 a.m. hours when mm -hmm. all of the actual violence takes place. So we, we went to uh, Seattle, for example, and uh, you see all the network news reporters out there. Well, it's very much a party-like atmosphere out here. And you'd see them do their day-side hits. You'd see them do their hits at 7 p.m. And it was at that time. But they weren't out there at 12 a.m. or 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. when fights were happening with individuals who were, all, who were all armed with no police officers anywhere to be seen and no chance for police to even come in there because they, they really they couldn't. So... We, I, I knew that that was our video team's responsibility to tell the American public exactly what was going on in those zones at those, that time because the prevailing narrative was that you know it was peaceful and all kumbaya. And, uh, what we saw and what we reported on I don't, speaks for itself. I don't know if this was your video last night, but I saw a sheriff's you know, armored uh, car come in to Kenosha last night. And these guys had guns. Uh, they were calling the sheriffs all kinds of names. Come on out. Fight. Come on out. Uh, it was ugly. What are you expecting people to do when the feds arrive? It's interesting because what we saw happen in Portland is, I think, very much being reflected here. Uh, the courthouse is really, the, in this case, it's a county courthouse, not a federal courthouse, but it's very much the center of the protests and actually they put up a fence that's almost exactly the same construction as the one in Portland. And what happened in Portland is when the feds arrived, things escalated because the perception of uh, the protesters or whatever you want to call them was that, you know, Donald Trump was putting uh, his foot in, in their community. Uh -huh. And 
I think that this is uh, only the beginning of the protests that we're going to see here in Kenosha as well, similar to what we're seeing in Florida. All right. Richie, thank you. Please stay safe. Please stay safe and reach out. If there's anything that I can do for you, you please reach out. You are doing important work. God bless. Thanks. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. And don't forget, rate us on iTunes. I want to play a couple of clips from last night. Here's Burgess Owens on what the people want you to believe. I was raised in the South during the days of Jim Crow and the KKK. Even through the challenges of segregation, we were taught that anything is possible in America. When I was 22 years old, I thought all my dreams had come true when I was drafted by the New York Jets. Ten years later, with a Pro Bowl nod and a Super Bowl championship under my belt, I left the NFL to start a business. I thought I could never fail, but years later I did, and I lost everything. As I moved my family of six into a one-bedroom basement apartment in Brooklyn, New York, I had a choice to make, to feel sorry for myself or get to work. I worked as a chimney sweep during the day and a security guard at night. It was humbling to be recognized cleaning a chimney by someone who once cheered me as an NFL fan. But those hard days would pay off, mm. and eventually I started a career, rewarding career, in the corporate world. We live in a country where we're encouraged to dream big, where second chances are at the core of our American DNA. We don't hear that same message from Nancy Pelosi's Congress, career politicians, elitists, and even a former bartender want us to believe it's impossible. They want us to believe that what I did, what my great-great-grandfather did, is impossible for ordinary Americans. Burgess Owens is uh, with us now. Burgess, first of all, hello, Gov. I didn't know you were a chimney. <laughs> I didn't know you were a chimney sweep. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's a, that's a, it, was a, it was a very important chapter in my life. To be honest with you, it's called a humbling process. Yeah, it was good. I it bet good. it. And I then, bet it was. I mean, I yeah. I know I know what it's like to be at the top of the world and then not be at the top of the world, and that is a really difficult thing to if you don't expect if you don't accept that as a great lesson of humility it can really drive you crazy congratulations well well, thank you glenn and i'll tell you that this is the the thing that that one american could tell the other the greatest words nine words of hope if i can do it you can do it and we all go through our obstacles that's what we have to realize there's nobody exempt from it we just have to embrace it not hoard those tough times let people know listen i I know what it looks like so country as long as you dream big as long as you Hang tough and just keep up the good work. Keep the faith. Good things will happen in this country. That's what it's all about. So I noticed during your speech, um, they put last night, they started putting up uh, to uh, register to vote, text this number. Uh, and uh, I, I think that the RNC has done the best job of reaching out to a community that they have only just kind of scratched the surface because they've never believed it was worth the time that nobody would ever change their vote that no black person would ever vote for a republican over a democrat uh and this convention is so different than any rnc convention i've ever seen well, you know what it is? We, we're at a point, Glenn, and I'm, 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 you know, we look at it, this, this has been a really rough year, but it's also a year in which we're a little more gray. We're seeing, for, for, for no question, 
what we've been talking about for years. It's no longer hypothetical what socialism and Marxism looks like. We see it full face, and we have Americans across the board can finally have conversations about what we don't want. We want light. We want, we want hope. We want opportunity. We don't want dark, the depression, death, and destruction. That, that's, that's, we never have been there. And I, I think that the, uh, the left, just because they have no vision, they have no idea they've pushed, they pushed this way too far. And American people are just not going to put up with it. So, uh, Burgess, let me ask you this. I, I know, you know to some degree, because I've been told what it is like to be a conservative and black. Um, and so many times, and I, I, I've had this experience being conservative in New York, where people will come up and say, I'm conservative, too, but don't say anything. Um, is that changing in the in the black community where they're not whispering as much? Are you seeing? Oh, my it? goodness. It's a seat change. It is. I think the greatest the greatest president of President Obama was that he was such a lousy president that black people finally say, you know, whatever happened to Hope and Change, what really was the deal? And we have people literally when I go to the airports, black people wearing MAGA hats. We have we have a walkaway campaign. We have the, the Blexit. Uh, that is what's scaring the left so much. They have dep- they have been addicted to us for decades, and we're finally realizing that we're walk not not just walking away, we're sprinting away. So no, I'm excited about what's happening, and and for those who are just kind of, you know. What I think is going to happen, those who still don't quite understand all of the the uh, the, the, the ways that we believe in our, in our party, they're realizing when they see that their homes being destroyed or their 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 lives their the business being just up upended, they're realizing that there's something wrong with the party they were part of. And all we have to do is have more voices like ours, and that's going to continue to 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 move us in the right direction. I feel very very hopeful, Glenn, for what's happening across the country. Um, you know, it was a lot easier to make this case before COVID. Um, because people were actually seeing it now they're struggling again and the the black communities and it's not helping in some cities when they're burning things down to the ground antifa is doing that um is how is the attitude towards the economy because when people are hungry uh, you know they they they're hungry well here's the deal um when you have black people who all they want is life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, and they see these, uh, these white BLM, uh, dot ink people coming through, uh, with a few blacks that are kind of with them. They see Antifa, and they're destroying their, their community, destroying their livelihood, uh, and they're telling, they're telling us they need to defund. The black community is finally getting it, that they never have been a priority to the left. And then, and then, and the more messages we get out there, like we're doing right now, the more they're gonna, they're gonna understand it. So, I, I think there's gonna be a big sea change, to be honest with you. And, and I'll say this, Glenn, uh, I, I've always believed that the black community and the Hispanic community and the Asian, those minorities that we've been kind of mar- marginalized to a degree are going to be the communities that as we pull ourselves back from the abyss, we'll pull our entire country back. History will be told that it was the black, it was the, commu- the minority communities that truly was the salvation for our nation because we're getting it, we're waking up, and as we do so, the left has so little power and they, can't, they cannot get their illegals in fast enough to replace it. So, uh, and they can't get enough uh, 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 to ballots in to replace us. So this will go down in history as, 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 as the minorities, those who had trouble in assimilating, as being the, 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 the people that bring our country back and show the rest of the world what America really looks like. Um, Bert, we're talking to Burgess Owens. He is a candidate. You're the fourth district in Utah, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, not something, I, I mean, I've known you for a long time, not something that you've ever wanted to do, uh, which, which I, I, I think you should wear that as a badge of honor. 
Um, well, well, you know, Glenn, when our conversation is always about uh, the second chance of little youth, it was all about the kids that, that we all believe is, is our, our future. And I realized this time last year that if we don't get the house back, our kids here in Utah, around the country, do not have a chance. Because it's always been about policies. And as we know, the left, the elitist, love to put in policies to keep people miserable, dependent, and hopeless. And you see that now across the country. So and, and, and we have such a good group. I'll say that those that are listening, look at your, your district. If you, have a, if you have a Republican that's standing, vote for him or her, support them. This is a, this is a very different class of uh, individuals that are patriots, that know how to replicate a president who understands what American love and leadership looks like. We can change this country in such a big way by getting in the House, putting some more backbone in our Senate, and allowing our president to have four more years. We, I, I say this, we have a renaissance ahead of us. Great things will come together, and we'll, we'll finally point out who our true enemy is. And it's not each other. It's that hard left. Marxist socialist has done so much damage to so many who trusted them in the past. Um, we're talking to Burgess Owens. Um, Burgess, when you stood on the stage last night and did that, can you just take me, th- just a personal kind of thing. Okay. Take me through what it's like to receive a call from whomever. Does the White House call you and say, yeah. we, we want you to speak, and then to find yourself on a stage knowing that 20 million people are listening to your words? What is the pressure like? What is, it, what is that like? Thank goodness, Glenn. We didn't talk. You were, you were going to tell me those 20 million people. I might have had a different uh, approach on it if I had known that. But, but here's the thing. This is, where, this is where dreams can come true. Two years ago, I wrote, I wrote my last book, uh, Why I Stand, and I was hoping, not thinking about politics, hoping to just get a presence so I can some way be able to go across the country and help give a voice to those, those who are running for office that needed my voice. And so, and I've always hoped that maybe, hopefully, I can maybe be part of a convention. Maybe my voice could be there. So for me, for me to get that call, it was, it was just a confirmation. Dream big. Go toward it. Know that there's a, there's a perfect plan out there. If you want to make a difference, Heavenly Father will find a way for you to do that. And I just thought it was a, just remarkable. And, and to get through it and, and, and for them to say finally, you know, that, it, that, it, that the talk worked out pretty good, to, for me that was a, just a magic moment. I could relax and now go back and enjoy it. So it was, it was, it was a good one. It really was an exciting moment. That's good to w- we'll watch you uh, go through this whole cycle. Um, and thank you for everything that you have done. Uh, you were um, fantastic on our special this summer when you were out at Gettysburg talking about, was it your great-grandfather? Your great-great-grandfather, great, 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 great Sounds Burgess. And, and everybody's beginning to know about him. And I'm so thankful because that is the American dream. That's the American way. Tell it no real quick. How you get here. Tell okay. her real quick. Great, great grandfather Salisbury came here in the belly of a slave ship, eight years old, was, was uh, escaped to the north of the Underground Railroad, got out to Texas, became a successful entrepreneur, saw the first, uh, uh, first black church, the first black elementary school, uh, uh, purchased 102 acres of land, paid off in two years, and was a tremendous Christian who, who, who was able to forgive because of the people he met coming across the plains and realized that that all bad, all, all whites were not bad. There were good Americans out there helping them to, to make it happen. And that's what we, the people, Glenn, have always done. If we ever, if we ever learn our history, we can never, ever start, uh, go the, the, the racist way. Because we have been so good to helping each other out. It doesn't matter what our color are, what our religion is. We, the people, have done great things. We just have to remember that. And he's a good example of that, by the way. Burgess, thank you so much. It's an honor to be your friend. Burgess for Utah.com. Burgess for Utah. Dot com. Thank you so much, Burgess. Thank you, Glenn. All right, bye-bye. We got to get him to win. He needs to win. Maybe great. Yeah. You know, but by the way, the last uh, the last poll, there's only been one poll that I've seen uh, from that race. It was an exact tie. 
So this is a very, you know, very winnable for Burgess. He'd be great in Congress. Uh, and it's in Utah. It's a swing district. I can't believe that he wouldn't win, but, you know, I, I don't know who the American people are anymore. I, re- I really don't. Na, na, na.